Amen. That's a wonderful testimony. Can we just thank Melissa again for being able to, to share that with us? Man. It's so good to hear stories like that because you, don't, you really don't know uh, the people in, in your midst that, that struggle with so many different things and battle so many different things. And just like her, to be able to hear somebody else share that they've been struggling with something very similar or they've went through something that maybe you've went through but you don't want to share, it just shows the depth of God's love and redemption that He's willing to go anywhere and pay any price to bring you out of the brokenness that you've experienced. And He's done that in her life, and so we're so grateful. And, and it's such an important thing to just recognize that no matter where you are, no matter what you've gone through, you can bring your brokenness, your sin into the light, and God can heal it, He can forgive it, and He can restore. Amen? So, yeah, amen. This... uh. It's actually, I hadn't, I hadn't watched that. Jeremy does a great job with these videos, and, and we're grateful for that ministry. And I hadn't watched that, so it, it, it really helps to lead into my, my sermon this morning because if you've been with us here for the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 3. And I don't know if you've read that before in chapter 3, but it's about marriage, and it starts out, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. So we're all really excited this morning <laughs> about what, what's in, in, in store for us in the Word of God. Um, but I, I want to read, if I can, First uh, Peter chapter three, verse one through seven. I don't know, John, if I put those verses up there. I may have forgotten. But First uh, Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. We're going to read this. We're going to talk about honor in marriage. So we'll read it and then we'll work through it together and pray. So it says, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. And do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence this morning. We thank you for testimonies like we just heard, God, of your redemption and of your grace and of your mercy because every single one of us, God, we come to you broken and we come to you in desperate need, uh, in desperate need of forgiveness, in desperate need of salvation, in need to be able to say, God, this is what I've done and I've been hiding it, but God, here it is and here's, here's all my brokenness and I give it to you and we need that healing. And so, Lord, just as Melissa said in her testimony, God, marriage is constantly under attack and Satan is attacking it every single day in, in so many ways to try to destroy marriage and what it was designed to be by you, God. So I pray, Lord, that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to bring life to your word so that we could hear it and receive instruction, but also be transformed by it, God. And I pray that through this, Lord, you would bless every marriage and every relationship to grow deeper in the way, God, that you designed it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been calling this sermon series Exiles because that's how Peter addresses who he's writing to because he has a bunch of Christian people who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire and he tells them specifically, he says, look, you are elect exiles. You've been chosen by God and even though it doesn't feel like you've been chosen because you live in a world that is basically living in a value system that is completely contrary to the value system you're trying to live in and it feels like you've got all this pressure, you've got a, a culture that literally is against you and trying to thwart the kingdom of God as a whole. But he says you've got to live in a very specific way. And here's, here's something that's interesting. Back in that time and in our time today, if you, we're living in a culture that is far different and it increasingly opposes Christianity. Would you agree with that? Like we're, we're, we're going in a direction where the world itself is increasingly opposing Christian values. And one of the things that you see opposed more and more on a daily basis is a Christian marriage between a man and a woman. 
And that's becoming more and more undermined by culture, more and more negated by culture, even sometimes mocked by culture. And we're even in a, in, in a month now where there's a celebration taking place, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but it's basically trying to broaden God's view and distort God's view of what healthy sexuality and marriage looks like. Now, as Christians, it's important that we understand we're exiles. The world ain't going to believe like us. They're probably not going to live like us. But God has given us a mandate to stay upon, to, to, to believe what He believes, to teach what He teaches, but not just to believe it, but to live it out. And one of the ways that He says you're going you're to show the world what God is like and what a Christian family is like is through a godly marriage. And see, it's very difficult. One of the things that God's given us, I don't know if you realize this or not, but marriage is a gift that God has given us probably above any other gift in our lives that has the capabilities of making us more like Jesus. Amen. I mean, there's a lot, like, before I got married, I, was, I thought I was pretty holy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, ha I had some things figured out in my life. I was doing really well, but then I had a wife, a very good wife. But still yet, what a very good wife can do is expose a lot of your selfishness. Amen. And then when you have a child, what a, what a good child can do is expose even more of your selfishness. And you realize, man, I ain't quite as holy as I thought I was, but God is using this relationship as an instrument and a tool to sanctify me because it's teaching me how to love sacrificially, it's teaching me how to serve, and it's teaching me how to lay down my life for someone else. Amen. So he says marriage is a gift if you can see it as that. Unless, but you may be like the culture and you may be selfish and you may think that you married your spouse in order for them to serve you and make your life more easy. And that's when we get into trouble. Amen. When we fall into that, that trap that we think life is about us. Now, the key that he's saying here in chapter 2 and 3, he says, listen, we've got to honor those who are in authority. And the whole issue is honor. Now, he tries to apply this once again, even using this word in this passage that we read, that we have to have honor in our marriages. Now, I was reading this week, just doing a little study, and there's a guy named John Gottman. You can look him up, but he is the leading researcher on marriage, and he did a comprehensive clinical study, and he was looking at couples, trying to see if there are certain factors that contribute to divorce. And this guy actually can look at a marriage without bringing any kind of intervention and see what's going on in a marriage, and he has a 93% success rate of predicting divorce. So he can tell, he can look at a marriage, which, you know, honestly, 50% uh, of all marriages are going to divorce anyway, so 93% ain't, you know, I don't know. It's pretty good, John. Good job. All right. You're doing all right. But here's what he says, and I think, he, I think he's right about a lot of these things. He says there's four horsemen of marriage. He says it's kind of like in the book of Revelation. When you've got these four things coming, you know the end is near. Amen. Uh, so, and he, here's what he says. He says, number one is criticism. You start to see criticism uh, ramped up in a marriage quite a bit. And, and here's what he says. He says criticism is different than just critique or trying to bring some love and correction into a situation. For example, like if, if I'm doing something wrongly and Andre is like, Clay, you know, you've, you've been doing this recently and you need, to, you need to consider that. Well, that's just a helpful critique. If she is critiquing something that I'm doing wrong that is going to help me and, and dealing with an issue, then that's just a critique and that can be very helpful in a marriage but what criticism is is when it's not talking about something I've done or I'm doing but it's talking about who I am as a person it's a personal attack you're always this way you're so selfish well you don't care about anybody those type those types of language are, it's not helpful he says it's not a critique it's not saying well you messed up in this area and maybe you need to change it becomes a personal attack where you begin to define this as this is who you are Okay, once that criticism takes root in a marriage, he says it moves into something, and he says this is the number one indicator that divorce is very near. And he says it's when you start dealing toward one another with contempt. Now, when you move into a place of contempt, basically you, you're just, you, you become a mean person. And, and you treat the person with contempt, and it's almost as if the spouse begins to just sort of has a disgust for the other spouse. Like in their tone and in their facial expressions, in, in, their, in, in their, you know, the way they carry themselves, and, and just, just the way that they're treating and speaking to their spouse, you can tell, well, it just seems like that person don't like that person. Like they got bad nicknames for them and everything, and when they're around each other, it just doesn't even seem like they like one another. And that contempt is designed to try to make a person feel worthless or feel less than. 
And he says, when a spouse starts treating a spouse with contempt, where it seems as if in day-to-day conversation they don't even really like one another, you are in some dangerous territory. And he moves on and says, the other thing that you start to see is defensiveness. And this is usually a response to criticism because once somebody gets criticized over and over and over again, well, they move into a place where they feel like they need to defend themselves all the time. And so if you attack me, well, I'm good at attacking you back. Now, does this not happen in every relationship? Amen. Like I'm sitting there reading this, I'm like, dude, I get defensive sometimes. Andrea comes at me, I immediately come back at her. It's like, well, I've been doing this, well, you've been doing this. You know, anybody, anybody amen me this morning, right? It happens. So what he's saying is you need to start to be aware of some of these indicators because if you can't learn how to communicate on a deeper level, on a more loving level, then this is going to start to erode your relationship. It could destroy your marriage. And then he says out of that defensiveness, if you continue to experience contempt, like if your spouse treats you poorly day after day after day after day, you can enter into stonewalling, which is basically I'm just checking out. I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, and, you just, and you just shut the person out. You're no longer emotionally engaged, and you're incapable of having any kind of conversation again whatsoever. We feel good so far this morning. <laughs> Amen. See, he's saying these can all be overcome, though, through mutual submission, through honor, and through self-sacrificial love. These can be overcome. Now, let me say this. Contempt is when you are criticizing the worst things in your spouse. But honor is when you are encouraging the best things in your spouse. Which one do you tend to lean toward? Do you tend to criticize the worst things in your spouse on a daily basis, or do you tend to encourage the best things in your spouse on a daily basis? Man, I love this. Everybody is under deep conviction already. Deep conviction. So in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, let's look back at what he says right out of the gate. He says, likewise, he's saying, okay, the same as we talked about honoring those in authority in the last chapter, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, I think most people in our culture, they view this one of two ways. They either say, well, the Bible's outdated and it doesn't really understand how we've progressed as a people. Uh, and then, or the other side is you read this and you think that a, that a man just ought to be domineering and dominate his wife and be able to tell her to shut up and she ought to shut up. And neither one of those are accurate. Amen. This is not what that is saying. And so throw those two interpretations out of the door and let's start to work through this. But the first thing that he's addressing is he's talking about a marriage where the wife knows Jesus but the husband does not. You realize that happens a lot? Matter of fact, in the American church, guess what? 60% of people in the church are women. 40% of people in the church are, guess what? There's only two of them, so they are men. Uh, Amen. That's a good point. I told them not too long ago, I know this sounds rude, but if I had, you know... A quarter for every type, for every gender that there was, I'd have 25, you know, I'd have 50 cents. <laughs> Amen. So he's talking about marriage where the wife knows Jesus, the husband does not, or at least doesn't obey the word. But here, let me say this. One way to avoid this, young people, we got young people in our church that are not married yet. One way to avoid getting in a situation where you're trying to serve Jesus, but you're married to somebody that isn't interested in Jesus at all, let me give you an upfront lesson right here right out of the gate. Don't marry somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Like, that's rule number one. Don't date a person that doesn't know Jesus. If they don't know Jesus right now and you're dating them, you need to have a long conversation with this person. But we've been together for a long time, Clay. Yes, but what is the most important thing in your life? Is Jesus the most important thing in your life, or is this person the most important thing in your life? If that person trumps Jesus, then you are in a bad situation spiritually. And so, so he's saying you need to make sure that this doesn't happen in your life. But here's the thing. Sometimes, guess what? We do marry people. People marry people who are not Christians, and that happens. And he says, so if that has happened, he says there's a way that you can live in which if, you're, if your husband is not obeying the word, maybe you've told them about God, maybe you bought them a Bible for their birthday, and they said, I ain't trying to hear all that. Woman, keep that away from me. Maybe you've invited them to the church, and they said, you know what? Don't, don't invite me. You go to the church, that's fine, but don't invite me to the church I ain't interested in the church what he's saying is you can start to live in such a way and pray for them in such a way 
that even if they do not obey the word, they will see your conduct and your lifestyle and before long you will start to win them over to the Lord. So there is still hope even if you have married someone who does not know Jesus. And I just have a sense in my spirit this morning as I was praying through this that there's going to be some women who are married to some unbelievers and they're going to see them unbelievers come to Jesus. Amen. So because Peter is writing specifically for that, encouraging women in the church, if you're married to a man that is an unbeliever, guess what? There's still hope he can be saved. As, as difficult as it seems. But see, the other issue is that somebody might marry somebody who they thought was a believer, but is now not practicing. You know, there's people often, even within the church, in our church and other churches, that they thought they married a believer, but then when push comes to shove, they're like, they ain't leading in the home. Like these people, they're, they're, I've never seen him crack a Bible once. He never prays with me. Those, those kind of relationships, you know what I'm talking about. So that could happen, or you could both get married as unbelievers, and one of you gets saved and, the not, and then the other one not gets saved, and you're dealing with this. And so he's trying to bring encouragement in the marriage relationship. What he says and what Paul says in another place is he says, just because you married an unbeliever, don't seek divorce. That's not, the, that's not the answer. Well, they don't love Jesus. I guess I'll divorce them. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer is to win them by your conduct and by your Christian life. And he says, even, don't even win them. He says, if, if they can't be one with the word, if you can't share Jesus with them and win them, then pray for them and live your life in such a way that finally they come to a point where they recognize that life is better than the one I'm living. Amen. So this is a possibility. So... Here's the thing, in that culture, the husband chose the family religion, and in that culture of the day in Peter's time, the wife did not have any legal rights hardly. And in that time and in that culture, the wife did, could not own property, she couldn't vote, she couldn't testify in court. And so the, the husband very much ruled the roost, so to speak, and we know that that's a different world that we live in today, amen. And rightfully, rightfully so, I, th I think that, historically women have been oppressed I, I i do believe that i think in our culture in our generation women have a lot more freedom even though sometimes i do think biblically we sometimes get roles mixed up and in our culture there are also uh, now it's getting mixed up even more and more amen so, so we're trying to get a biblical view of what it means to be a healthy man and a healthy woman in a marriage relationship. And so he says, look, if you're in that relationship, you need to find ways to honor your husband or your wife, even if they don't believe the Lord. Find ways to honor them, find ways to respect them, find ways to minister to them and serve them in which they see the goodness of God in you and that goodness of God leads them to repentance. So what happens is, is because they don't live rightly or they don't love Jesus or they're just aggravating and dumb and cussing all the time or whatever, you get so aggravated that really you come out and you live a Christian life at church and then you go home and you nag on your spouse. And he's saying, no, 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 let it start in the home. Let love begin in the home. Let self-sacrificial service begin in the home. Let forgiveness and kindness and grace and mercy begin in the home and then let it extend out past beyond that. See, it's very easy for us to be good to people in church on Sunday morning. It's very difficult for us to be good to our spouse on Monday morning. Amen. It's just the way that it is. We get comfortable with our spouse and we begin to think, well, we can just mistreat them because they're going to love me anyway. But that's not what he's calling. So the goal in this situation is not to win arguments, but to win the people. The goal in this situation is not to win arguments, but it's to win your spouse. And I know sometimes you guys think that, you know, no, my goal is to be right in this situation. I'm trying to be right with my spouse so that they can know and they will get up under my subjection. But see, that's not the kind of godly subjection that Jesus teaches. Even though we are submitted to Jesus, we are submitted to a man who chooses to wash our feet and serve us. Think about that. That is the context for what it means to be a husband. She submits to a man who is committed to coming under her and serving her and washing her feet and loving her and washing her with the water of his word. It's easy to submit to that kind of leadership. And so that, that's the context that he's laying out for marriage. And he says sometimes here's what can happen. If you are married to somebody that's an unbeliever, you may get in the way between God and your spouse. Let me say it this way. Like if you're married to an unbeliever and you're always nagging them, always pestering them, always trying to push them, and, and finally they're just aggravated at you, they see God as a nuisance that's always just trying to pester them. Amen. 
So what he's saying is, okay, quit pestering them with your words. Win them with your conduct. Win them with your service. Because you may be getting in the way of allowing God to actually work on their heart. So if you live for God and you're exuding holiness and purity and love and service and kindness, but you're just, you're just living your life and praying for them and, and letting them do their thing to some degree, loving them, maybe, maybe there's an open door to pray for them or whatever, but you, but you follow the Spirit in those ways so that you can win them by your conduct. That's what he's saying. And so you get out of the way and you let God work on their hearts. And then he moves on and it talks about, once again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. As I was praying through this, I said, Lord, help me. He said, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. I told him we was going to pass around a basket this morning and take up gold jewelry. Amen. Any women? That's a joke. I'm kidding, women. Don't leave just yet. He, he said, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry are the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, how many of y'all you call your husband Lord? Anybody? No, you don't. In that culture, it was different. In Abraham's time, it was just a respectful term in that culture. It'd be like a child calling their dad father. It's a respectful term in that culture. And he, and he says, And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, a lot of times we'll talk about a Proverbs 31 woman. One of the things that Proverbs 31 says about women is it says this specifically, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so my first question is, if I'm reading through this scripture, is why does God emphasize the internal over the external? Why is the internal hidden person of the heart more important than an ex the external ex appearance on a woman, right? Because in our culture, let me ask you this, what is more important in our culture and what, what have we actually adopted to believe? What is more important? What do we emphasize more? Do we emphasize more the internal person of the heart or the outward appearance? When a man is looking for a wife, what does he want? He just wants her to be hot. I mean, let's be real. Young men, that's what they, that's what they want. It's very, you're very, it's very rare that you're going to find anymore a, a young man who's dating a young girl, getting to know her, bringing her to his family, getting to know her family and intermingling and, and mixing it up a little bit to find out what kind of person they actually are. This is why it's important to not get married too quickly because you need to find out what kind of person they actually are. You all need to go through some stuff together. You need to have at least one or two or three good fights to see how they respond and work it out. Amen. That's good preaching this morning. And he says, but see, you guys, the problem with you is you, emph you emphasize often the external over the internal, and even women specifically will emphasize in their own lives the external over the internal. What he's saying is, hey, women, you want to live for Jesus? I, great, you're beautiful. Thank God. God has given you beauty in, for a very specific purpose. That's amazing. But he's saying don't let the external be your primary focus. Don't try to win a man the way the world wins a man by flaunting her stuff. Amen. Y'all okay this morning? He's saying don't win a man the same way that the world wins a man. Now obviously... God designed you beautiful. So, so they're, they're, I'm not, I, I don't even think here that he's saying don't have gold jewelry or don't put makeup on. Or Obviously, he ain't saying don't wear clothing, is he? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't let at the externals, clothing, jewelry, makeup, hair, all these things be the only thing that you focus on and you ain't got a relationship with Jesus. Your character is not being developed because you're trying to get through life based on your looks. And every morning when you wake up, it's not about my relationship with Jesus. How is Jesus forming my character? It's about how good can I look today. Amen. Y'all okay still with me, women? I should have got a woman to come up and share this, but <laughs> Peter did it. What am I going to do? He was a man. So his primary concern is internal character. And we shouldn't fall into the tra trap that the world is trying to, trying to bring us into. And so spiritual adornment is the reality but physical adornment is the symbol of that reality. Now, our world actually, we live in a very promiscuous world. It's basically show as much of yourself as you can. Be proud of yourself. Listen, be proud of yourself. But, but listen, clothe yourself. Amen. That's good preaching this morning. So, so he's saying be proud of yourself. 
Your bodies are beautiful. Treat yourself with respect. Treat yourself with honor. But see, throughout Scripture and throughout the New Testament, Paul even uses very specific words in the Greek language. For he says that women should wear clothing that is befitting or proper for women who profess godliness. And he uses three words, and the three words are this. That they should wear clothing that is respectable, modest, and self-controlled. In other words, I should respect myself and respect others by clothing myself the way that Jesus Christ has clothed me in His grace. That my body is not meant to be showed to everyone in the world. My body is meant to be shown to my spouse. And so I should clothe it and cover it in a respectable and, 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 and way. And I should also be self-controlled so that my life is not consumed with buying more clothes and more clothes and more clothes. But I should be modest and self-controlled in how I deal with my outward appearance and the things that I buy. Amen. So, number two, let me move on. How does lifestyle require wealth? Whereas character is equal opportunity because one of the commentaries that I read said that, that in this particular day and age, basically women bought all kinds of gold jewelry and name brand clothing and wore certain things and braided their hair in a certain way because it was a status symbol. How many women buy certain types of jewelry or certain types of clothing because they feel like it elevates themselves somehow. They feel better about themselves because they have these things on their body. Amen. What he's saying is you shouldn't elevate yourself with the clothing and the jewelry that you buy. You should elevate yourself with the character that you have on the inside. Amen. And so it's important because characters equal opportunity. It don't matter how much money you got. It don't matter what kind of job you have. You can all develop character in Jesus Christ because you can all have a relationship with Jesus Christ regardless. And he says, what's more precious to me than how you look on the outside is the character of your heart on the inside. And he says, so you want to clothe yourself? He says, let what you wear on the outside be a reflection of how you have clothed yourself spiritually on the inside. I've never preached to women like this before. It, yeah. Amen. Somebody call me to a, like a women's service. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm going to preach that one night. Uh, but which one, of, which one, here's the question, which one are you investing in? Are you investing and in spending your time and energy more in your outward appearance or your internal character? Consider this. Number three, what does quiet and gentle mean in the context of marital disagreement? Because I think sometimes you can read this and women... I mean, how many of you women, when I read that passage, you sort of cringed at it a little bit? Anybody? Like, you just like, ugh. I just don't feel like that's right. Something ain't wrong about it. Something's wrong about that passage of Scripture. Now, in the context of marital disagreement, what does it mean to have a quiet and gentle spirit? Right? This is important because uh, it doesn't mean you're just doormats and you don't ever speak up. It doesn't mean, it never, it never means that you should be subject to marital abuse. It never means that you should be dominated by your husband where he can uh, treat you in an abusive way. This is not what it means. It means how do you engage with your spouse when you're in conversation with them. Like how many of you right now, when you get in fights, it's not something that kind of elevates and gets into it, but right out of the gate, it's a harsh, strong, aggressive startup. Like, we're just out of the gate. Let me tell you something. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all, you just start into it just like that? It's like right out of the gate. It gets heated. And, and see, sometimes what happens in marital disagreements is this builds up over the years. So we walk around on about 9 or 10 level all the time. So all you got to do is do one thing wrong, and it hits wide open, son. And we come out of the gate hot screaming. Amen. It's, Clay, you're telling the truth this morning. I mean, get after it. Here's the thing, men are predominantly angry and adversarial. Men are predominantly in a grumpy mood. It's true. Men kind of tend to just sort of stay in a grumpy mood and they don't want women or anybody else to inconvenience them in their daily... <laughs> My wife laughed. And, and so what, what happens is, is sometimes, you know, women can get involved, just, just like even, even with Melissa's testimony, thank God she was bold enough to say the truth. She walked around angry, she said. She lived angry. Women that are hurt, women that have been abused, women that have been through things, like sometimes they can get angry. Sometimes they can stay heated. And maybe if their husband has been a, not that great of a husband, they've gotten riled and, and, and 
to a point where they're just, they're just on edge and they're in a harsh startup on a regular basis. And here's what I want to say. This, a quiet and gentle spirit does not mean that, like I said, you're just a doormat and you just let your husband yell and scream at you because women need to be honest and assertive. Here's one thing that I found in relationship. Like Andrea sometimes, for the sake of my spiritual growth, has needed to get loud in volume with me at a specific time. But here's the thing. If she's gentle and quiet during regular living, right, well, then when she gets serious about something and increases her volume because it's not a constant clamorous environment where she's always fighting me, well, then when she gets serious and her volume raises, I'm like, okay, I maybe need to pay attention. But if I live in an environment where she's always yelling, always loud, always screaming, always fighting, well, then I ain't going to listen to nothing. And so women need to take uh, an evaluation of what is, my, what is my attitude in the home generally so that when I do need to speak and when I do put some volume on it, it gives him attention and he realizes, oh, she's not, she's not fighting me, she's trying to help me. My wife has helped me in my character maybe more than anybody on this earth because she has spoken up at times that I've acted poorly. And honestly, I'm gonna be honest, I got married and there were a lot of things that I did not learn from my father, from my mother, whatever, and it, or it just hadn't clicked yet. And the Holy Spirit used her to say, Clay, you can't act like that. You can't have that kind of attitude. You can't continue to live like that and you can't treat me like that. Amen. So sometimes women, you need to tell your husbands, hey, you can't treat me like that. And that, so, amen, you women are like, Clay, you are right. I mean, like, you, I, I, Clay, I didn't feel good at the beginning, but now you're starting to come into something. Preach that. So how, how do your conversations begin? And the guy in the beginning that's talked about the four horsemen, he said if your conversations begin with a harsh startup, you need to, it's a red flag. If all of your conversations begin with a, with a loud, harsh startup and you can't simply say, listen, you did this, it affected me, it hurt me, can we talk about it? And, and begin to deal with it. If it's always a harsh startup, you're entering into dangerous ter territory. This is why Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So he's saying bring it down to a level where you have a gentle, you have a quiet spirit, and so you can win your husband or your other wife. Maybe some, in this case some of you men are really gentle and the women are harsh. I don't know. But when you have a harsh startup, it, can cause a, it causes a fight or a flight response. That, that, if, that if I immediately walk in the door and I hear a harsh startup, and my response is to fight back or to shut down and get out of there. I ain't putting up with this. You know what I'm saying? One or the other. And so what, they're say, what he's saying is in, in communication, you have to have a quiet and gentle spirit. And that doesn't mean you need to have a silent spirit because sometimes people need to be able to express exactly how they feel, exactly what is going on, and the other spouse needs to be corrected. Amen. Number four, why is Sarah a hopeful example for women? I thought about this long and hard because, you know, Abraham and Sarah, I, sometimes I read in Scripture and I'm reading and it's, like, and it's like the Scripture sort of lifts them up and elevates them and we sing songs about them. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. Praise the Lord. But Abraham and Sarah did some sketchy stuff. Uh, they lied pretty regularly. Like they did some weird stuff in regards to that. Uh, matter of fact, Sarah, she's afraid uh, she does not believe God when he promises her she's going to have a baby. She laughs at him. She laughs at the promises of God, and then rather than believing that God will give her a child, she takes matters into her own hands and says, Abraham, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take my servant, you're going to sleep with her and have a child with her, that way we'll have some children. How many of y'all think, well, this is a good idea? How many of you wives, you're going to be like, that sounds like a great idea. Now, that's going to cause problems in your marriage. And it did cause problems in their marriage. And so Sarah does this. But why this is hopeful is because, is because listen, we are messed up the same way that Abraham and Sarah are, aren't we? We got the same issues that we have. We doubt God. We question God's, God's sovereignty. We question God's promise. Sometimes we make some terrible decisions. Sometimes many of us have made like they made bad sexual decisions in our past. And these things come to bear on our relationship. But at the end of the day, God gives a promise and brings redemption and ends up using them. They develop a relationship with God. They learn faith. They learn trust. And through them, all of the families of the earth are blessed because through them Jesus Christ came 
And so God can use you and even your broken marriage relationship or your past uh, failings. And this is why it's hopeful for us because her life was hopeful. She made some mistakes, but God still uses us. And then number five, let me, let me ask you this question. Why is it important for the scriptures about husbands and wives to not be applied to men and women in general? So the context here, what I'm saying is, is he says, wives, this is how you should treat husbands. Husbands, this is how you should treat wives. What it's not saying is women and young women obey men in general. You know, one of the dumbest things you could probably tell your daughter is obey all men in general. No. You know what some men would do to your daughters if you said that? Just obey men. No, don't obey men. Obey the husband that you have married because you've dated him and we've got to know him and we've got to know their families and we've come together corporately and made a decision. This is a good person for you to marry and once you come up under that kind of leadership because he loves God, obey, submit to his godly leadership. Some, and don't be rebellious and out chasing all kinds of crazy stuff. Live in such a way that you honor God and you honor Him because we've come up under that. But don't just obey all men in general. Go through the process of finding out this is a good godly man. He loves the Lord. And then in that sense, submit to His leadership. Six, which common fears? Because it, it says you are her daughters as long as you don't give in to any fears that are frightening or as long as you don't give way to fear. Which common fears do women have, and how does that affect their marriage? In, in Sarah's case, the common fear that she had, I th I, one of her greatest fears was the simple fact that she just wasn't going to have a child. And because she wasn't going to have a child, she had a hard time trusting God, and so she took matters into their own hands, and it affected her marriage relationship. How many of you women, you have fears, and the fear of this happening, or the fear of what they might do, or the fear of not having enough actually puts strain on your marriage relationship? What he's saying is, is don't, do not make decisions out of fear and do not give way to fear in your life because you have a God in heaven who is your father who knew, knows how to deal with his son and who knows how to ultimately work in his life. But you have the ability to trust in God and know that God is going to take care of you. He says, submit to him in such a way that he's like a father and don't allow fear to take control in your life because we're not called to live in fear but in trust to God and fear and trust in God are actually opposed to one another. Amen. So, sometimes you just need to pray. I'm going to give you all a prayer this morning. I know you want to change your spouse. Can I tell you something? Let me give you a pro tip. You ain't going to change them. The only person that can change your spouse is the Holy Spirit. And so what you need to do is, is pray when you get in a fight. Holy Spirit, if I'm wrong in this, I need you to convict me. Holy Spirit, if they're wrong in this... I need you to convict them. Amen. Because the issue is, is we try so hard to change and change and change that actually often can create rebellion in the spouse. But if we show godly character and win them over through our conduct and pray that God the Holy... We stick the Holy Spirit on them in the prayer closet. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work internally on them that only He can do because ultimately He's the only one that can change them. Now you can help them along, but the Holy Spirit's the one that has to do the work. So then he moves into husbands honoring their wives. So I, wives, we got done with that first part. Y'all are going to be good now. Now husbands honoring wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So... The wife and the husband are both responsible for the conduct. It's not, it's not a deal like, well, if you act this way, then I'll act this way. No, I'm responsible for my conduct. If my spouse isn't currently acting that way, I still have to act according to God's ways in order to honor God. And so then he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I thought, what does this mean? And then I thought, you know what? I need to understand my wife from the perspective of what is it like to be married to me? You ever done that, husbands? I mean, if I was married to me, we probably wouldn't have a conversation. I mean, we'd probably wake up in the morning and be like, what's up? And just go on about our day, come home later in the day, never check in. Like, because cause that, hey, men, have you ever thought about what it'd be like to be married to you? See, I just thought about it this week. It's horrifying. 
but then I think about, some, and I thought about some of the things that Andrea gets on to me over, and, and, but that's the thing, you have to live in an understanding way. What is the burden that she's carrying? What are the things that she's asking for? What attention does she need? And then what does she actually get out of me because of what, who I am and what I'm offering her? i got to live with her in an understanding way. What she's going through, the, the, the burdens that she carries, the support that she needs, and who she's actually married to and what I've given her up to this point. I have to think through some of those things because the difference ultimately in marriage is the difference between being selfish and becoming a servant. And so my, what I've been working on over the last few years is actually what it means to become a servant. Like, okay, I can actually help her if I wash these dishes right here. I know that's hard for me. Anybody, I, mean, I told y'all the story the time about whenever we had we, been living together for years at this point. And I said, man, how is it? I, like, at the church, toilets get dirty as all get out. Our toilets never get, clean, never get dirty, and we never clean them. <laughs> she said, are you serious? That, the truth is, I had never cleaned it. <laughs> She'd been cleaning that sucker weekly. So you live with them in an understanding way. And then it says you show honor to her as the weaker vessel. And this is something that's so interesting in our culture because maybe women, I don't know how you women feel about it being called the weaker vessel, but I don't know if you realize it or not, but physically you are weaker. Odds are any of you women that tried to pick a fight with any male in this room, right, the male would probably win. This is why in our generation and culture, confusion has crept in. You see that now uh, you have biological males that are participating in female sports. They're not even good in male sports, but they dominate in female sports. This is wrong. It is evil. And, 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 there's, and there's, there's not even an in-between there. There's not some place where we should say, okay, but I can kind of see it. No, you can't kind of see it. It doesn't fit. It is a distortion of God's plan and God's view of how he made and designed humanity. And so that's a problem. And so when we look at women and men, we recognize, he says, understand they're a weaker vessel. Why? Because what will happen with men sometimes is they'll recognize, because I'm stronger than her, I can bully her. Because I have more physical power than her, I can force her into submission. I can mistreat her. I can abuse her. And so what God's design is this, is that, yes, she's a weaker vessel. Now, get this. I don't know. Like, I often very rarely fear for my life. Do y'all, like, I don't know about you men. I don't fear for my life. I can walk in the woods in the dark and not be afraid. Like, that's just my thing. I can be alone with the doors unlocked and be all right. Like, it just doesn't frighten me. But my wife is different. She's a female, and she doesn't like being alone. See, women tend to feel more vulnerable. They tend to feel like, man, I might, I might be in danger. I might be hard. Like even the other day, Andrea wanted to plant some stuff, but I had to help her. Why? Because of bugs. <laughs> I said, you know, they, they, that kind of comes with the territory. There's bugs in the ground. But if there's a bug in the house, guess who kills it? I kill it. If an intruder comes into the home, guess who's going to defend the house? I'm going to defend the house. Right, So, so, so there's, there's that element of men are designed to protect women. What happens when men are actually the ones that are supposed to protect, but now they become the ones who abuse? They become the ones who dominate. You begin to enter into a place, men, in which you are in vast rebellion against God, and you are damaging his daughter, and he is angry at that. There is wrath of God. Like, how many of you men... You've said things to your wife or treated your wife in such a way where if a man did that to your daughter, you would go ballistic. You have to think about that sometimes. So, men, let me go through this. I'm going to go through nine very quick points and we will be done. But he says we are to honor her and respect her. And I'm going to give you nine ways that we honor our wives. Number one, we honor her spiritually. We honor her spiritually by actually saying, we're going to go to church together. Guess what? We're going to read the Bible together. Hey, let me pray for you. And, and we're not putting all of the spiritual burden on our wives. And can I tell you this? Even I'm going, to, I'm going to venture to say that even in our church, there are men in our church that puts the spiritual burden on the mom, that puts the spiritual burden on the wife, and that is incorrect, men. You have to take a position. If you're not currently praying with your wife, you need to start praying with your wife. If you are not leading in the home scripturally, if you're not saying we're going to go to church, if you're not saying this is how we should start to think about leading our children, he's saying you need to step into a place of leadership where you honor her spiritually and you lead her spiritually and you do not put the spiritual burden on her. And all the women said amen. Right? 
And all the men said, I can't stand Clay. I, never, I didn't like him before this. I don't like him now. <laughs> Secondly, you honor her emotionally. You honor her emotionally. That means that there's empathy, there's, there's consideration. And one of our struggles as men is being emotionally present. We like to get home and check out and veg like a big tater on the couch. You know what I'm saying? And, and the point being is, is that, that to be better husbands, we actually have to check in emotionally. How are you doing? How was your day? And then they want to honestly talk and unload some stuff. And guess what? you got to try your best to be an active listener and care about what they have to say because they, because they actually need that. And you have to invest in that. And they need to be able to share things with you that they feel like it's safe that you're not going to talk to somebody else about it. That you're not going to talk to your buddies about it. You're not going to complain about it. They need to feel emotionally safe where they can share something with you and know that you ain't going to take it to another place, but you're checking in with them. Thirdly, you need to honor her physically. Honor her physically. And just like we said, you've got to be protective of her, right? And, and watch out for her because they like to sense that sense of protection. But you also have to be present with her. Like, how many of you men, I just heard of this recently. I just heard of this recently. There's something called non-sexual touch. Any of you men ever heard of that? Some men are like, no, I don't even know what that means. I never heard of that. Don't even believe in such a thing. I got one laugh. But see, here's the thing. Women don't just want to be touched when you're ready to, you know what? They actually like physical contact just because of love and intimacy and care and don't need to feel like every time you put your pinky finger on them that you're going, you know, we, we, we're going straight for the deal. Amen. I'm going to go to the next one. Well, the next one's worse. <laughs> Honor her sexually. But the key, the, key in the, the key in this one, listen to me now. The key in this one, the, the Scripture actually teaches, it says one of the requirements for elders is to be literally in the Greek a one-woman man. It says the husband of one wife. If you translate it in the Greek, the best translation is a one-woman man. It means that you are into one woman. One woman is your standard of beauty. And she can rest secure knowing that you ain't flirtatious with other women. And that she don't have to worry about you acting inappropriately with other women. And she can rest in that knowing that you are a one-woman man and you are honoring her sexually. And that, listen, if you are for men that struggle with pornography or lust or something like that, that you are actively moving in a direction where you are allowing the Lord to set you free from these things so that you can honor her in that way. Amen. Five, honor her verbally. Because sometimes our words can be like daggers. And oftentimes what I find is it's not even so much what I say as the tone that I say it in. And sometimes I'm dishonorable not with what I say exactly, but oftentimes with what I don't say. And sometimes I'm dishonoring not with just what I don't say, but then when I do say, or the very little that I say is in a tone that does not honor her. Amen. And so I need to learn how to honor her verbally. And sixth, we honor her financially and this is this means that listen we work and we try to provide but we also budget and you know I, I've, I've went through counseling sessions before with people I don't think anybody's in this church so don't think that I'm calling you out if this is actually what's happened but I've no I've had counseling sessions where literally they did not have money to buy formula for the baby because the man was spending too much money on hunting gear that's a problem amen somebody say oh gosh that's me hallelujah Honor her financially, honor her practically. This means you plan out your weeks in such a way where like, it's like, uh, you know what, it would help me if you'd pick up the baby. Well, it would help me if you would actually you know, pitch in, wash the dishes in this particular set of circumstances. So you honor her in practical ways that are going to help the family as a whole, not just putting all the burden on her in that way. You honor her parentally. Guess what? This means that as parents, you're on the same page as a unified front. You don't tell your kids, well, you know, I'd like to, son, but you know how your mama is. You don't do that. You, you, you come together on a unified front and you, it, listen, if mama said it, it sticks. Then you, you, you honor your mama, you respect your mama. And then on, number nine, you honor her consistently. God is a God who changes and she don't need to wake up every morning trying to figure out who did I marry today. Amen. 
You honor her consistently. And so all of these things are going on to make a good marriage. And here's the thing. He says more than anything, but we, we are heirs of the grace of God in this relationship. What your relationship, what your marriage relationship needs more than anything is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces self-control. He's the one who produces self-sacrificial love. And you need an intimate relationship with God where the Holy Spirit is leading you and anointing your relationship and bringing blessing and bringing gentleness and kindness and goodness and causing you to think about one another during a day in order to pray for one another and benefit one another effectively. Amen. So I just want us to pray. Can we stand to our feet? I have some other points, but you know what? I've said enough. And I think this is sufficient. So I, I want us to, to pray, and I want us to pray for our marriages. You, you, you guys know exactly where you stand in your marriages. Maybe you've been convicted as a husband. Maybe you've been convicted as a wife. But the most important thing, listen, both of you must submit yourself to God first. And then out of submission to God and God's Word and saying, God, I, this is your son, this is your daughter. You've, you've brought us together to live in such a way that it actually preaches the gospel. And so may, if your spouse is beside you, if you don't have one, that's cool. You can pray for yourself or your future spouse. But if, if they're beside you, maybe even take them by the hand. But let's just pray over this. Because our relationships need strengthened. The marriages to come need strengthened. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, that's going to be the first step in your marriage. But Father, this morning we pray for every marriage that you would bless these marriages, that you would strengthen these marriages, that you would pour your Spirit out in each marriage. And Lord God, where you have spoken to hearts to convict, help us to lay aside these sins, to give them to you, to confess them to you, God, so that we can be forgiven and that we can be renewed in this area, Lord God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in each marriage... God, that your wisdom would come, that your love would be poured out, and Lord, that you'd guide each of us. Lord, for those that are not yet married, that you would guide them to the right person at the right time and help them to develop the character that they need to be the person they need to be when they do get married. And Lord, for those of us who have not submitted yet to your word or submitted yet to the gospel, Lord Jesus, I pray that you convict hearts so that we wouldn't just be submitted to one another, but God, we would be submitted to you first and foremost. So Jesus, do your work in each heart. We pray, and we pray, God, that you do your work in each marriage. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. They're just going to play a song real quick. But take a moment here. Maybe you need to continue to pray with your spouse. If you need prayer for anything even beyond something that's relational, you can come around this altar. Uh, we'd be glad to pray with you up here if you need prayer for anything. But just take a moment here to respond to the Lord.